Hey, we are so glad to have Alex back, and uh, he's been back about three weeks, and I told you a few weeks ago that we were going to have him, uh, you know, give him a little chance to settle in and kind of face reality and, and then kind of share with us what uh, the Lord, you know, had to teach him and wants to continue to teach him. It's not over by any means. It's a, it's a journey that we're all on together. So, Alex, uh, come on up with your U-Turn for Christ shirt on, and how come I didn't get one? And... Uh, Good morning, everyone. It's really good to be. I know I'm not supposed to like read right off of a uh, paper, but uh, I'm really nervous, and I'm just gonna read it. So, yeah, I know. Just okay. Good morning, everyone. It's really. I already read that. It's really good to be home and here with you all. I'd like to thank you all for your prayers for me and my family while I was at U-turn. And I'd like to thank you all for your generosity. Mostly, I'd like to thank God for being in control of everything and giving me another chance. Rich asked me a few weeks ago to speak about what I learned and what it was like at U-Turn for Christ. So I thought and prayed a lot about it, but all I could come up with was how scared and inadequate I am to come up here and share anything with you. But God in his mercy kept reminding me that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. So I hope that some of you will be encouraged by what God has laid in my heart to share. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the one true and living God worthy of all our praise, holy and full of love and mercy, in control of all things. I confess that I am a sinful man, self-seeking, impatient, unloving, and so much more. Please have mercy on me. Thank you for my Jesus and his sacrifice for my sin. Thank you for the blood he shed for me, and thank you for clothing me in his righteousness. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in me and enables me to trust and serve you. I ask that you would humble me Lord, and for your spirit to guide me in what I say now. To you all the glory, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, here we go. What U-turn was like and what I learned. I could bore you with stories about washing my clothes in a bucket, macaroni and cheese every day for lunch, 20 guys sharing one bathroom, and digging holes for not following the rules. I dug a lot of holes. But I thought, with the few minutes I have, I thought, I'm sorry, but I thought the few minutes I have would be better spent bragging about Jesus and what he can do in a wretched man like me's life. Jesus taught me the importance of walking in the light and not the darkness. As a believer, I should have nothing in my life I need to conceal in darkness. My life should be open and exposed before people and God. Jesus taught me that I can be a slave to sin or free in him. It's my choice, daily, bondage or liberty, chaos that comes from sin or the peace that comes from surrender to Jesus. Jesus taught me that this life is hard. It's a war, and I live in occupied territory. My enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour me. And too many times, I just let him. Other times, I would try to fight but fail. I learned that the battle belongs to the Lord, so I give it over to him to fight for me. I want to be that good soldier in 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, not meddling in the affairs of civilians and seeking to please my commanding officer, not my sinful desires. I've learned to see Jesus not only as the lamb covered in blood at the cross for my sin, but as the lion in Revelation 19, 11 through 16, 
ripping open the sky, thunder and lightning crashing all around, riding on a horse, armed for battle, chomping at the bit, his eyes like fire, an iron rod in his hand, covered in blood, again, but this time it's not his. So what can the world throw at me that this Jesus can't handle? What enemy is too hard for this Jesus? Jesus taught me that I don't need to be afraid of anything, that his love casts out all fear, and there's nothing that can separate me from that love. No problem, no feelings or emotions, no enemy. He'll never leave me or forsake me. And I'd like to end with this thought or a challenge, however you want to take it. God is more concerned with your character than your comfort. And that's it. Thanks. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, we're starting in chapter 8. <clears throat> we have finished the Sermon on the Mount, and I told you that we're going to move a lot faster once we get out of the Sermon on the Mount. So today we're going to do four verses <laughs> instead of two. We are going to move faster. Different times the sections are longer, and that's just the way it is. But sometimes they're, they're shorter. And, and uh, this particular passage, I think, is... is uh, Really, uh, it's an awesome passage, and you'll, you'll see when we get there. But a little bit of review, this idea just before that, the, the, the concept of what are we building our lives on? Are we building on rock or are we building on sand? We have a choice. And like Alex was saying, we have a choice every day. Do we build on rock or do we build on sand? And, and it's obvious which one lasts. Jesus made it clear that building on the rock wasn't just hearing his words, but putting them into practice as well. Each and every day where we put his words into practice in our lives. So daily, before the storms come, is when we need to build, right? We don't go out when the storm's here and try to fix and patch, and it's too late then. But before the storms come, before the hard times in life come, we build that foundation of hearing the word of God, daily, and, and applying it to our lives, building that strong foundation of Jesus. Jesus said in John 13, when he went around and he gave his example of washing the feet of the uh, apostles, he says at the end of that passage, a very interesting thing, he says this, now that you know these things, he says, you will be blessed if you what? Do them. Not just knowing. Knowing isn't enough. He says you will be blessed if you do them. And I think there's an ongoing challenge for you and me where God says, you know, you, you know, don't just listen to my word, but put it into practice and you will see the blessings that come out of putting his word into plastic, into uh, practice, despite the fear of the people around us. I, I had a couple things that I, didn't, I forgot to uh, mention last week about... Uh, Foundations, the foundations of our society and our government. You know, uh, Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president of the United States, he said this, that the foundation of our society, speaking about the U.S., and he said of our government rests so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings should cease to be practically universal in our country. Oh, God help us. And he, he uh, you know, he, uh, 
He died in 1933, so you're talking about the early part of, of uh, the century. I don't have the date when he was the pres president, but things are changing, are they not? And when the, when the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? We read that last week. The, the foundations of marriage, and, and this is so crucial, and we try when we do premarital counseling, the first thing we talk about is that you got to have that threefold cord where your marriage is founded on faith in Jesus Christ or you are going to have a very hard time. The foundations of our lives. I found this quote, and I couldn't really verify it. You know how you get quotes sometimes on the Internet and, and you can't always verify that they're true or not? It's a good quote, though. Somebody said it. They attributed it to Johnny Cash, but I couldn't really prove that. But it's a great quote. Let me read it to you. It says this, Jesus is the foundation of my whole life. He is my strength. If you have Jesus in your life, you know it, you feel it. He's the solid rock you can stand on every day. There's no problem you can't face if you have the love of Jesus to strengthen you. That is awesome. That's the whole message of building our lives upon Jesus Christ. Today, Matthew chapter 8, I want to look at the touch of the king. The touch of the king. It says in verse 1, let's move on. It says, when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Large crowds were following him. But he came down from the mountainside. Notice that language there. He was... He, he, had, he had crowds before and he had crowds now, but, but he went up on this mountainside, it says he sat down and began to teach them. But there came a point in time, right, when he had to come down from the mountainside. He went up there and it was glorious, teaching the, these verses, the, uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. What an incredible sermon. What a fantastic teaching that he gave. But, you know, it's kind of like what we were just saying. You, you can't just hear the words. You've got to come down from the mountainside. You've got to come down into the reality and, and, and the uh, highs and lows of life. You've got to come back to the grind. You have to get back to what's going on. Come down and face the needs. You've got to come down and face the pain. Face the problems. I find this true after you go on a retreat, is it not? You go on one of these retreats and you, and you just have this incredible time and you're not thinking about the phone, you're not thinking about the bills and everything and, and, and you have this wonderful time and, and you believe you know, God is speaking to you and then you go home and the bills are there still and the pain and the, and the reality of, of the things that we face in life are still there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes, even on a, on a daily level, you, you, you know, you're reading God's Word and you're going, man, this is awesome. On a daily basis, you open up God's Word and you, and you just have this incredible you know, devotion time, this quiet time with God. And, and then like a half an hour later, you're yelling at someone. And you go like, oh, wow. You know, you got to come down. You, you come down from this time with the Lord and, and, and realize that, you know, there, we need Jesus. It says that large crowds followed him, and, and, you know, many, many people were there, but you know what? Many people what? Many people, many needs. Many people, many problems. Many people, many pain. No, much pain. 
Just in chapter 8 alone, there's a man with leprosy, there's a centurion's uh, paralyzed servant, there's Peter's mother-in-law. I can't wait to talk about mother-in-laws. There's a demon-possessed people. There are sick folk. Just in chapter 8, you know, oh, this great Sermon on the Mount, it's glorious, it's wonderful, but hey, they come down the mountainside and there they are. Now, how do we live it? How do we put it into practice? How do we carry on in this life? with all the stuff that really goes on. And, and Alex pretty much said it too, and I'll say it here, that, that nothing, there's nothing that Jesus can't handle. There's nothing that Jesus can't handle in this life of, of so many different and varied things. There's nothing that Jesus can't get you through if he is the foundation of your life, that quote I read. There's nothing that his love can't help us to get through. These large crowds followed him. And, and you wonder, why were there so many crowds about this guy? Was it just so exciting? There was something new, the miracles, you know, in some cases the bread and the fish that they got fed. You know, hey, you know, meal ticket. But it says in Mark chapter 6, let's turn there. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Mark chapter 6, six verse 34 says this, when, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus saw the crowd, you know, but they were, they, they were people. But they were sheep and they were, they were lost. They were lonely. They were hurting. And Jesus saw them like that. And I think Jesus sees you and I like that as well. It's not just a crowd of people. Jesus always gets from the crowd to the individual, and, and we're going to see he does that back in, in Matthew as well. Turn ahead to Matthew, I mean Mark chapter 8 though, just ahead a couple chapters. Mark, cha- Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It says that then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, if anyone would, deny, would come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Jesus got down from the crowd to the individual and he said, You know what the most important thing is? Is that that your soul would not be lost. That if you want to come after me, it's not just about being a part of a big crowd, but it's, it's these things he said here, denying ourselves, take, taking up our cross, and literally following after Jesus. Not just as part of the crowd, but individually. Yeah, we do a lot of things together, and there's something about you know, worshiping together and, there's, you know, and, and, and studying together, but, but you know, ultimately... That doesn't get you there. Just being a part of a group doesn't get you there. It's a, an individual thing between you and your creator, between me and Jesus. Look at John chapter 6. Let's turn ahead to the gospel of John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 2. It says, A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. 
Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Look at chapter 7 and verse 31. says, still many in the crowd, not all, but many in the crowd put their faith in him. And they said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? It wasn't bad that they saw the miraculous signs. In some ways, that was authenticating who he was. But, but they each had to do that. Many had to put their faith in him. You and I each need to do that an individual. Just because you're here and part of a group, just because you come to church on a Sunday, that, isn't, that doesn't do anything for you. You might be learning some things. You might hear the Sermon on the Mount. But until you build it into your life, until you surrender completely and totally to Jesus Christ, you, you, your, your soul is lost apart from Him. Let's turn ahead to John chapter 21. The end of the story. This is one of my favorite chapters in the book of John. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but look at verse 19. Jesus is dealing with Peter. There's a whole lot of stuff that comes ahead of this, but when it's all said and done, Jesus said this, speaking about how Peter would die. He said to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. He said to Peter individually, even after everything Peter had done, he denied him, all these stuff that had happened, he said, follow me. That should have been the end of the story, right? But look at verse 20. It says, Peter turned and he saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Speaking about John the Apostle, I always love this where, you know, John sort of throws that in there, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, he has to put that little part in there. But verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? He says, you must follow. Don't look around at the other people. Well, what about, what are the, you know, they don't have to go through the trials I'm going through. They don't have to, you know, deal with what I'm going through with, with who I am. They don't look like, you know, me and, and have to deal with, you know, just the, the stuff of life and what God's given or not given. He says, don't look around. Peter turned and looked around and, and Jesus said, you know what? Don't, don't worry about them. If, if I want to do this or that, that's up to me. But we do do that. We look at other people and we compare, don't we? We look at other churches and we compare. We look at other people and their jobs and, and the stuff they, you know, do in their lives and we compare. And he says, no, no, no. He says, you do what I call you to do. You follow me. So the question each one of us individually is, what is God, how is God calling me to follow him? There's some general things, but there's specific things as well. What's he calling you to do? Don't look around. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Because all that does is confuse us. I've done it. I've done it many, 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 many times. And all I do is get confused. But when I get back to what God's called me to do, I, I, I find that's where peace is. That's where strength is. That's where the purpose and the, and the path is. 
Let's turn back to Matthew, just in case you thought we weren't going to. Because what happens now, he has this huge crowd, right? And now in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 8, he gets down to the individual. He gets back to this person here. It says in verse 2, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There was this one individual, and this, this man had leprosy. He had this skin condition, this terrible, terrible affliction. It was horrible. I've done some reading about leprosy, and, and, and people say, well, maybe it wasn't exactly leprosy, but whatever it was, it was a terrible, terrible skin condition that affected his whole life because of, because of how he was able or not able to interact with people around him. He was required to live outside the city walls. He would be separated from all other people except for people who had the same condition. He was an outcast. He was excluded. He was a broken person. One commentator says this, There has never been any disease which so separates a man from his fellow men as leprosy did, called the living death. It's a kind of terrible, progressive death in which a person dies by inches. This is, this is what this guy was facing. The Jewish historian Josephus, writing in the, the late first century, he said that lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. They were written off. You're just a dead man. It's like the, the, this whole group of people in the country of India called the untouchables, the, the, you know, the, the lowest of the lowest in the caste system of India. They're just like scum. And, and, and if, you're in a higher, if you happen to be in a higher caste above them, you look down upon them as just like nothing. But this man, he came to Jesus because Jesus was his only hope. He was his only hope. He knelt before him, it says, and this word also means to worship. And he came before him. In the other accounts, the parallel accounts, it says in Mark that he came to him and he begged him on his knees. And Luke says this, he, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him. He, he humbled himself in desperation. I have got nowhere else to go. Desperately, desperately. And he said this, he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He, he recognized the power of Jesus. But he also recognized the sovereignty of Jesus. Jesus can do as he decides to do. He didn't go up to him and say, Lord, I am commanding you to heal me because you can heal me. I hear people say those kinds of things, not necessarily in those exact words, but that's the effect. This is not a lack of faith. This is a, this is a position of, of humility and submission to the hand of God. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, when he said to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? He said, if you are willing, he's talking to his father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Did, did the father take that cup from him? No, thank God that he didn't. Because where would we be today? He says, make me clean. You know, it was a horrible, horrible living, a horrible, horrible existence that he had. 
this disease of the skin. Again, it separated them completely. But, but you know, I, I think we can make the connection, too, about soul diseases, the diseases that we face that, that make us unclean. And, and this prayer to make us clean. In Proverbs, it says this, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? Can, can any one of us say those words? In David, you know the story about David and Bathsheba and, and all the other stuff that went on in, in, in that situation in his life. David comes and, and finally gets confronted. But he finally repented. He finally got his, himself together to, to turn back to the living God. And in Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance. And one of the verses say, says this, that he says to the Father, he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. He says, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. To come to the Father, to come to the cross and be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what you and I, Paul says that some of us were like this, but we were washed, we were sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Uh, this passage in, in Ephesians where Paul is speaking about husbands and wives, but he says, he says to the husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Jesus did that for the church. There's also a connection, and this isn't the time to speak about it, of the husband and the responsibility of the husband to, uh, for the spiritual life of his wife. A big responsibility. Paul says in Titus that, that he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You and I, you know, we may not have this uh, very obvious looking disease, this skin thing that's happening. You know, it, 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 you know when, when somebody's, you know, got some kind of a running sore on their face, you know, it's, it's just like we, we recoil against it. But the truth is we all have these kinds of uh, diseases and ugliness and sickness within us that people maybe cannot see. And we need to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ on an everyday basis. Look at verse 3. It says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He said, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. This is, you know, this is such a picture. This is unbelievable what Jesus did here. It's unbelievable what he did. According to the Jewish law and the customs, one had to keep six feet from a leper. And if the wind was blowing toward a person from a leper, they had to keep 150 feet away. And the only thing more defiling than contact with a leper was contact with a dead person. It was, it was horrible for a Jewish person to, to, to get even close, depending on the way the wind was blowing. But look what Jesus did there. It says he reached out his hand and he touched the man. He touched him. No one else would touch this person. That's why I say he was his only hope. No one else would go near him. No one else would even think about touching him. And now Jesus, he could have, you know, just spoken the word, right? He could have just spoken the word and healed him. 
But he reached out his hand and he touched him. And notice he touched him before he healed him. Excuse me, he didn't heal him first and then touch him. Which probably, you know, if I was Jesus, I probably would have done it that way around. But I'm not Jesus. Well, you knew that. But Jesus, it says he reached out and touched him. Jesus is not afraid to touch you and me, no matter what, no matter what kind of sickness, disease, ugliness, sinfulness, inside or out. He's not afraid to touch you and I if we will come to him. This guy came to him. He didn't force himself upon him, right? This guy came to Jesus, and then Jesus responded by touching him. That's why I say the touch of the king. Jesus touching the untouchable. Maybe you feel untouchable. Maybe you think Jesus didn't have anything to do with me. He he doesn't really know me. Well, the truth is he does know you. And he is willing to touch you no matter what if you come to him. No questions asked. He could see. He could look at this guy and see. And he reached out and touched him. He said, I'm willing. He had compassion on him. Maybe, maybe some of us, you know, we have got such a, a hard you know, shell built around us. We won't let Jesus or anyone else, for that matter, touch us. We won't let anybody in. We're, you know, we're, we're afraid, what, whatever the problem is. We're proud, whatever it is. If this guy had been like that, he would have just continued on in this situation. If you and I are like that, we're just going to continue on in the situation. But he says, no, humble ourselves and, and, and come before him. Kneel, beg in desperation, knowing that he's the only hope. Jesus, it says, there that he was willing and he said be clean he's the only one that can say that no one else can say that no one else can wash us clean no one else can do what jesus can do and immediately he was cured of his leprosy jesus is able and he's willing with this man to heal him physically as well as spiritually Jesus had that threefold ministry. We saw it earlier in the book of Matthew in chapter 4, you know, the, the teaching, the preaching, and the healing. <coughs> teaching, preaching, and healing. And, he, and I believe he's still doing the same today. He's still teaching us. He's still uh, challenging us and exhorting us. And I believe he's still healing us today in all different areas. But let him do it as he would, as he will. But, but you and I are called to go and ask for prayer. You and I are called to humble ourselves before him and and cry out to him. It says immediately he was cured. There wasn't any question. It wasn't, you know, smoke and mirrors. It wasn't any kind of, you know, trickery. He healed him and, and he was completely healed. God did a work in his life. There was no question about it. You don't have to guess if God's done a work in your life. And someone said this, the man had his life back. The man had his life back. How many of us have been there and, and, and you know, we've, we've come to Jesus and we got our lives back? They were, we, were, we were lost. We were separate. We were hurting. We were broken. And he came to Jesus. He was touched by Jesus. He, you remember that television pro, uh, program, you know, that, that uh, touched by an angel? You know, I liked the show. I used to watch it because there, it was just, it was, compared to everything else on there, it was at least worth watching. There was some kind of message in there somewhere. 
But I want to be touched by Jesus. I want to be touched by Jesus. This guy had new life. He had new hope. His hopes were answered. He was washed. He was cleansed. Verse 4, we finish there. He says, Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Why does he tell him, don't tell anyone? Doesn't he want him to be, you know, sharing the good news? Well, Jesus, you know, at that particular time, he wasn't trying to draw attention to himself. He wasn't trying, he didn't have a need to prove anything. But in Mark's account, it tells us that this guy, Jesus said, don't go out and do it. Don't go out and tell everybody, but go and do this. It says that instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. You say, well, that's good, but it says that as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. He wasn't trying to build up crowds, you see, and it, it kind of hindered some of the things that perhaps he could have done. But Jesus, when he was lifted up on the cross, it was in a very public place. And it was for all to see and for all to know about. And, and the, the message now is exactly the opposite. It's not see that you don't tell anyone, but the message is what? See that you tell everyone of what he's done for you and for me. This man who had no hope, he, he was a, a, a reject, a separate outcast. He came to Jesus. He came to Jesus, the source of hope. My, my prayer is that each one of us wouldn't just be part of a crowd, but we've, we, we would come to him and, and, and find life and follow him. Not, don't follow the crowd, follow Jesus, knowing he's the king. Bring our needs to him and pray. Bring our needs to him and pray and see what he will do. See what he will do. I, I'm, I'm totally convinced in the power of prayer. And as we pray to him, and we wait on him, and we just wait to see what he will do. It's amazing. The touch of the king makes all the difference. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, and, and what a ministry he had. What a glorious teacher he was. What a preacher he was. But yet he also had this ministry of healing where he would touch and heal and give hope to lives that were completely hopeless. And Lord, you can do that with each one of us. And perhaps we're thinking we're so far gone, so far lost, we're, we're untouchable, but, but Jesus, you're willing. And you reach out and touch, and, and you can touch our lives, you can touch our hearts. You can touch our bodies. God, we humble ourselves and we come before uh, your son and say, Lord, if you are willing, you can make us clean. You can touch us. You can do a work in our lives. We humble ourselves before you. And your word says that if we humble ourselves, you'll lift us up in due time. Father, you are the creator. We proclaim that you are the one to all glory belongs.
Thank you for this place. Thank you for what you're doing in our church, Lord. We, we do pray that you would guide us and direct us, Lord, and, and fill this place with glory. Fill this place with worship. Fill this place with, with souls that are, that are connected to you and reconnected to you and, and, and that are surrendered to you, Lord. And we worship and we uh, follow you. Father, we, we present it to you, Lord. I, I, I pray you'd prepare us for just what is in the rest of this day, Lord. Our, our, our many different things that we need to do, many places we need to go, and, and even the, the lunch downstairs, Lord. We pray that your, your hand upon us in all these uh, areas and places and activities, God. We want to build our lives upon Jesus, upon the rock. For he is the foundation, the true foundation, the strong foundation of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.